Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to Mark chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 26 today, uh, and we will summarize some of this section. I want you to see big picture what Jesus is teaching us here. If you are a Kids Bridge kid, the leaders are waiting in the back to take you to Kids Bridge, fourth and fifth graders, if you want to take part in that ministry. Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 22 through 26 to begin our time together. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Oh, God, bless the reading of your perfect word in these moments. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Oh, God, would you use your gospel that we have read and prayed through? We have sung. We have declared in baptism. We have declared in our commitment to one another today. Would you use the gospel to cause us during this time to see everything clearly? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Tomorrow, I turn 44. Now, you can clap. That's fine. Um, which was news to me Friday, because every year, for some reason, I will just pick a number out of thin air and say that's what age I am. A few years ago, it was 49 for some reason. People would ask me how old you were. I would just say 49. And then when I realized that I did not turn 50 but 40, I felt like I'd gained 10 years of my life back. And the same thing happened Friday. This whole year, I've been saying that I was 45, 45. And I was talking to Kay Fusen and Patrick, and Kay looked at me and said, you're you're not 45. That's not how old you are. And then we did the math, and she said, you're turning 44. And again, it's just like redemption again. I was like, I gained a whole year back. I was getting depressed about 45, but I'm actually only 44. And so folks ask me, how do you feel? Do you feel like you're getting older? And this will be the year uh, that goes down as the year my nearsightedness went away. Uh, and people warned me of that. They said, when you in your 40s, you're going to have a hard time reading. I see some of you with your readers on, some of you that I've made fun of for wearing those things to read. I'll never forget Dan Robertson. I was sitting beside him one day, and he had this big old phone. And, and he had all of his text messages blown up and it looked like bubble letters just scrolling through him. And I was just humiliating him. I was like, I didn't know you were that old. You can't see or 
or making fun of John Martin, who he walks around with this big TV screen like computer that he calls a tablet. And then to read it, he has to take these inspector gadget glasses that are on his phone off just to read. And I've made fun of him for being old and not being able to see. And everybody says, just wait. It happens overnight. And for me, it happened one Sunday morning of all times for it to happen. I was getting ready for the service. I was in the sound booth and I pulled out my Bible and it just so happened. If you remember, we were making a big deal. You need to have your Bible at church. You need to have a real Bible at church. You need to be able to look at the pages and read the scripture. And I had my real Bible back in the sound booth and I pulled it out and it just looked like the words on the page were moving back and forth, swirling all around, and my eyes could not get control of them. And I realized it happened. It happened in that moment. And just to make sure, I took some readers that some somebody had left back there, probably John or Dan, and I put them on and I was like, voila, I can see. But there's no way I'm going up there to read the scripture or from my Bible with those weird looking glasses on. And everybody will know that I'm getting old and that I can't see. And I tried to convince myself it was just the contacts. It's just the lighting. It's not a, a big deal. And then that's when I transitioned to this big gaudy iPad up here that I can zoom in on the letters when I can't see during the sermon. But but I'm not going to take out the readers every time that I read. And just so you know, the, the longer I denied this this year, things only got worse. A few weeks ago, this is, this is no preacher exaggeration. This really happened to me. I was at a baseball game. And I stood for a minute staring at the scoreboard. It had to be a minute thinking the score of a high school baseball game in the fifth inning was 11 to 77. And I stood there thinking, man, I knew we didn't, weren't having a good season, but this is too much. And I, and I looked at Mark Woods, who was there, and I said, are we getting beat that bad? And he said, by six runs? And I said, oh, oh, one to seven. That's the score. Six runs. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot, right? I mean, and, and trying to convince myself, not wanting anybody to know. In just the last few weeks, I've given way too much tips at restaurants because I could not read the receipts. And this has only gotten worse. And so I'm here today to confess that I am going blind when it comes to reading and I need readers and maybe you can hold me accountable to using them up here so I don't preach heresy or get something wrong in the text right but in the the text we look at today Jesus confronts spiritual blindness and he confronts three groups of people who are spiritually blind and they are blind because they won't admit that they're blind they can't see, and they are walking around declaring that they can see the kingdom. And he confronts three sins of pride that cause us to be blind to Jesus himself. The sin of self-righteousness, the sin of power, and the sin of providing for ourselves. These sins of pride cause us to be blind to the kingdom. In verses 1 through 10, which we will just summarize, because we've already seen in the book of Mark a feeding of thousands 
Remember when Jesus fed 5,000, the text says men, so there was probably 25,000 people in this desolate place, and Jesus feeds them almost out of nothing. And here, as this chapter begins, there's the feeding of the thousands 2.0. There is another crowd out in a desolate place, wilderness. And the text says Jesus has compassion on them because they've come to hear him teach for three days. And he says they don't have any food. And if we send them back home without any food, they are going to pass out. They are going to get sick. They are going to faint. And so out of compassion, he feeds them with seven loaves and a few fish. He multiplies the food so that everyone is filled to the point of satisfaction. Literally, they are glutted and there are baskets of food left over. And so here, Mark puts another sign. He, he sandwiches a sign, the signs here, the feeding of the 5,000. We might say the feeding of the 4,000 because Mark wants to declare in this section, Jesus has given enough signs in the world for anyone to see him, for anyone to believe in him. He has shown us enough. That's what Mark is saying. But what is the response to the signs? Well, in the next section, verses 11 through 13, the Pharisees show up again. Remember, these are the legalists, the contrarians, and they come to Jesus. And what do they ask for? A sign. And so what is the point? You have seen signs over and over and over again. You have seen Jesus feed thousands of people out of nothing. And you're still asking for a sign. You're blind. You don't see what's right in front of you. And they, they ask for a sign from heaven. And one of the things that we've learned here is Jesus is bread from heaven. And Jesus would say, you've seen enough signs and I'm not giving you any more signs. And the text says he left them. He went away. He says this generation will receive no more signs. They've seen enough and yet they're blind. But then the text turns back to the disciples and as we've talked about all of these signs and wonders, specifically the feeding of the thousands, it always comes back to the disciples. Because in doing all this, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something very specific in all of the signs. And when we were out in the wilderness and he fed the 5,000, he was teaching them, I am calling you to a task you can't do. I'm calling you to shepherd and feed my people, but you can't do it. I must be the shepherd. I must be the one who feeds with the word. And so you're going to have to trust me to do what you can't do. And he's teaching them the same lesson here as we look at verse 14. After the feeding of the 5,000, after all of the signs, notice verse 14 of chapter 8. Now they had forgotten bread. And we stop there and say, what? Really? Because we've talked a lot about bread. And as you read through this section, and, and even as you read in the other Gospels during this time, Jesus has talked a lot about bread. He is, he is fed with bread. We, we even talked about this woman who is longing for bread, a Gentile woman who is longing for bread crumbs from the table of the Jews. There's lots of stories about bread. Jesus says he is bread from heaven. And then Mark says, but they forgot the bread. 
And we say, how in the world, with all this talk about bread, can you still forget bread? And the text says they only had one loaf with them and they should have known that's enough. Jesus can feed thousands of people from one loaf. But there's only one loaf in the boat. Notice verse 15. So Jesus sees what's going on, probably hears them whispering about bread. Where's the bread? Did you bring bread? Oh, we only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus thunders in verse 15 and he says, watch out. He interrupts their conversation about bread. Where's the bread? Hey, stop that. Stop. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. All of a sudden, he talks, begins to talk about leaven, which Jeremy Ellis preached such a powerful sermon on how sin is leaven in our life and it spreads so easily. But he thunders in here and he says, watch out, beware. There is a double warning. Pay attention. You are you're on the edge of something that is so dangerous in your conversation about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven, which is yeast, or it causes bread to rise. And biblically, it's compared to evil that spreads. Jesus is rebuking them for their conversations about forgetting bread. And he says, stop it. You're about to sin. You're about to sin in the same way the Pharisees sin. You're about to sin in the same way Herod, who killed John the Baptist, sinned. That's how serious it is. You've seen me rebuke the Pharisees. And you know Herod beheaded John the Baptist. That's the level of sin that you're on just talking about forgetting the bread. That's where you're at. And so what is this sin? Well, both of these groups of people, the Pharisees, the Jews, the religious, and Herod... They sinned by asking Jesus for more signs. They had seen enough, but they asked for more. And the Pharisees, as we had just said, they've seen all of these signs in the synagogue, in the cities, and yet they walk up to Jesus and say, you're going to have to show us more. We still don't believe. If you're the Messiah, bring the kingdom on down now. Show us a sign right now. And Herod, at the, at, at, when, when Jesus stands before Herod on trial, what does Herod say to him? I've heard of all of these wonders. I've heard of all of these things that you've been teaching. I've heard of all the crowds that are following you. And I'm so excited to see you because I want to see some magic tricks. I want to see you do some more of those things that people are talking about. Some more signs. And the sin here is that The influential, the powerful, the religious, they see the kingdom, but they don't see the kingdom. And they're in sin. And he is rebuking his disciples for the same thing. As they stand in the boat and they say, did y'all bring lunch? And he says, stop it. You're sinning in saying that. You, you, you don't, you've seen the kingdom, but you haven't seen the kingdom. And the description of leaven here, it kind of has a double meaning. Remember when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, one of the things they were told not to do was to leaven the bread. And the reason for that is it's just time to go. Get your stuff and get out of Egypt. Go. You don't have time to leaven the bread. 
after you've seen all of the signs and wonders, signs and wonders through Moses, you know God is present and he's leading you out. And here the same thing's going on with Jesus. They have seen all of the signs and wonders of Jesus, and he is leading them into another kingdom. And what Jesus is saying to the people, to the disciples, is you don't have time to leaven your bread. You don't have time to cling to the kingdom that you're in. It's time to turn and follow me. But if you don't see the kingdom, you won't follow me. But you've seen it, but you haven't seen it. And they're guilty of the same thing the influential and the powerful, the religious, are guilty of. And we think, okay, they back up from Jesus. Okay, man. Like, okay, we got it. We got it. Beware of the leaven, the Pharisees, and Herod. Matthew, the Sadducees are mentioned who don't believe in the resurrection. They see resurrection in life. They don't believe in it. Okay, beware of this sinful leaven. And what do they do? Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) Bread from heaven. You don't need anything else but bread from heaven. Hey, Matthew, did you pay for the bread? Do you not get it? Notice as Jesus continues aware of this, he said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why, Why is this still a discussion you, you, you have seen me provide in ways that would blow your mind and you're still acting like you have to provide for yourself. You're still acting like one loaf isn't enough. After all you've seen in the kingdom, you still don't see it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, the kingdom bread from heaven. But we still need to eat. We still need provision on the boat. And this is their sin, thinking, still thinking that they provide for themselves. And Jesus rebukes them harshly. Jesus goes into full on dad lecture mode, right? You've experienced that when dads just lose it and they just lecture. My kids and my wife say, we've already heard you preach once this. Got it. But it's that sort of mode that dads go into. And here Jesus is like, okay, you don't get it. Everybody in. Everybody look at me. Let's deal with this right now. Why are you still talking about no bread when you've seen me provide bread to thousands? Do you not yet perceive or understand? The word perceive means to see and comprehend, to hear and take it in. And you still don't get it. And then notice he says, are your hearts hardened? As you see this talk about bread, are you becoming callous to what it means for you? You still are trusting in yourself. You still are hoping in yourself. And so your hearts will not let you receive the kingdom because you still think it's about you. Notice he says, having eyes you do not see and having ears do you not hear. And the question here is, are your eyes deceiving you? You see something, but your eyes are lying to you. It can't be what you see. You see the kingdom and your eyes say, no, but it can't be the kingdom. 
Your ears hear of the kingdom, but your ears say, no, it can't be the kingdom. This can't be provision for you. And you are hardened to what you see. You are hardened to what you hear. And Jesus just goes on a litany describing all that he has done in feeding them. Verse 19, he says, when I broke the five breads for five loaves, sorry, for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. He says, that would have been more enough to bring on the boat, right? You've seen me provide more more than enough. Where's that bread, by the way? But why are you still doubting? Why are you still worried about bread? And then he says, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And his point here is, I'm always providing for you more than enough. So why are you worried about one loaf is all you got? What can I do with that? Well, I can I can provide for the 12 of you here out on a boat, surely. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, there is a tone of frustration and rebuke. And Jesus is absolutely scandalized because they have seen things that nobody else has seen and they should get it and they should see it. They have seen him feed some 40,000 people from just few fish, few loaves. Be like going to Rupp Arena, filling it in, packing it in. And then everybody, there's no food for anybody. And someone saying, well, go get some nachos. I think there's some leftover nachos up there in one of the concession stands. And then you feed everybody till they're holding their stomachs when they leave because they are so full. And Jesus says, you've seen that. And and Jesus, by the way, could have pointed to the boat that they're in. And, And he would have said to them, haven't you seen me fill these nets up with fish to the point you can't get them in this boat? You've seen all of these things, but you don't see it. And why don't they see it? Because they still think they are responsible for providing for themselves. And they don't want to look to Jesus for that. And they're becoming guilty of the same sin of the Pharisees and Herod. Seeing the kingdom, but not seeing the kingdom. So I think there's a warning for us here today. There are some of us here today who are guilty of the sin of the Pharisees. And that you see the kingdom, but you don't see it because of your self-righteousness. You have even heard and sung today of the infinite payment that was made on the cross by the blood of Jesus for your sins. Under the infinite just wrath of God to pay the penalty you deserve. And you have seen it and you have heard it and you've said to embrace it today. But you are saying to Jesus like the Pharisees, you're going to have to show me more. You're going to have to show me more than the cross because I just can't forgive myself. And you are a self-righteous Pharisee clinging to self-righteousness because you're saying the cross isn't enough. You would say to Jesus today, I see the scars and consequences of my sin daily. There is shrapnel in my life, in my home. I I see it every day, the consequences for my sin. So you're going to have to show me more than these songs about a cross. You're going to have to show me more than this story about Golgotha. You're going to have to show me more. 
Why would you say, show me more than the cross? Because you're blinded by your self-righteousness. And there are those of you who are here today and you're guilty of the sin of the Pharisees because you have heard of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And you know exactly what that is when I say it. You have heard sermons and you have even taught Bible studies on what it means to have the obedience of Christ credited to your account. Meaning when you believe the gospel, you are seen as obedient as Christ, as though you have never sinned and you've always obeyed. And you know all the ins and outs of the imputed righteousness of Christ. But you still say to God, you're going to have to show me more because I believe I'm a pretty good guy. And when I look around and compare myself, even to Christian folks, Christian folks are are nasty sometimes. And I look around at church folks and I don't backstab like they do. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. I do good things. And you are exalting yourself in self-righteousness to you don't see the righteousness of Christ is what you need. You're comparing yourself to others. You're condemning others. And there is a bread. There is a leaven that is blinding you. And you can rattle off a list of campus ministry projects, of mission trips, of BFG attendance. You can show us pictures of you and your kids doing devotions every morning on Instagram. And there it is. And you have convinced yourself that you don't need the righteousness of Christ and you are blinded by your self-righteousness and you've seen the kingdom and you've heard the kingdom, but you don't see it and you don't hear it. And Jesus would say, beware today, beware of your blind eyes. And some of us here today were guilty of the sin of Herod. Because we are blinded by power. You are believing the false gospel of this age that says to be a Christian, you must be successful. You must be powerful and you must win. You must win. Life must go well for you. And you are believing that false gospel and you are blinded by it, blinded by power, just like Herod, who would cling to his kingdom when he was confronted by John the Baptist, who would seek to destroy the kingdom because he was blinded by his power. And some of you are so blinded by power today, you would say, yeah, 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 Jesus. There's power in the blood. But we still need some power on Capitol Hill. We still need some we still need some political power because big tech's getting out of control. And you're missing the gospel. Because you're blinded by a false gospel of power. That's not the way the kingdom comes into the world. The kingdom comes into the world with a humble, meek, sacrificial savior. And you say, I see that. I I see sacrifice. I see suffering. But there's no power in that. I need to get what's mine. There is joy and there is freedom in just letting people have it. I need that power. I need to assert myself. That's what Christians should do nowadays. Stand for truth and let everybody have it. And you don't see the kingdom coming in a crucified, brutally beaten down Messiah. And you don't want any part of that kingdom because you want power. And you're blinded by power. And there's a leaven in your life that says losing now could never lead to winning. And then most of us here today, we are guilty of the sin of the disciples that has grown in our life where we are blinded by the king in the mirror. You would say to Jesus, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Bread from heaven. I get it. Cross, resurrection, righteousness. I get all of that. But I still need groceries. Just like the disciples. There's things that have to happen in my life right now. And I'm the one that takes care of that. I pay the bills, right? Ain't no Jesus of Nazareth on my checks. It's me. I'm the one writing the checks. I'm the one doing all of this. I'm the one making all of the transactions. I'm the one who is scheduling out my week, making goals and making plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bread from heaven, but I still provide for myself. Eternal life, but I still need the job that everybody told me I could have because I could do anything I wanted, right? I'm the one that must provide these things. And you are blinded to the great provider. And you think you take care of your needs. You think you take care of your wants. You see, some of you are here today and you hear of the kingdom where this is true. The psalmist tells us this is reality. In the presence of God, at His right hand, are pleasures evermore. Meaning the greatest joys that you will ever have will be when you are in the presence of God Himself and you will delight in worshiping Him, which is what you were created to do. You will be aligned to your great purpose of giving God glory forever. And there is more joy in that than anything else. And you say, yeah, 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 pleasures evermore. But right now I'm finding a lot of pixelated pleasure. This phone, this phone is right here in my hands. You're talking about something abstract far, far away. And you don't think that can take care of you now. You're the one that provides what you want and what you need now. And you are blinded by your sin. And so to communicate our blindness, Mark inserts this story that we read earlier. Notice verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, which actually means fish house. (laughs) Y'all talking about bread. I'm going to take you to the fish house. And it's actually the place where Peter, Andrew, and Philip grew up and they worked. And he takes them to the place where they have provided for themselves their whole life. And as they walk into the city, notice verse 22, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And last week we said it's the same sort of scene that happened with the the man who could not hear. They just fling him at Jesus' feet and say, touch him, take care of him. Let's see what you got. And they begged him to touch him. Now, this man was blind. He'd probably lost his sight at birth. He was considered an outcast. He was a mystery to the people of what he saw, what he thought. He, no one knew him. They throw him at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Remember last week, he takes the deaf man to the side. Jesus said, they're discarding you. But you're created in my image. He takes him by the hand and takes him outside of the village. And then he does something that causes us just to go, whoa. And when he had spit on his eyes, if you're watching that from a distance, you're going, what in the world? Now, this was a practice that was done at times when there was this sort of miraculous that was taking place or an attempted healing. And so Jesus is declaring, I'm going to heal you. But he spits on his eyes. I thought about that this week. Why would he do that? And yet there's some symbolism here. We talked about it last week where there's the spewing out of the curse. 
But even in looking at that, and if you're a germaphobe like me, you go, that is gross. That's disgusting. Isn't that going to make matters worse? And, and yet, it is a picture of something gross and disgusting, which brings about deliverance. Which is the same thing we see at the cross. The most gross, disgusting thing we've ever seen brings about redemption. We see a picture of that here. And yet Jesus asked him these words. He says, do you see anything? And, and probably wiping the spit off of his eyes. He looked up and said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Now, commentators have tried to make a big deal out of this. It's just his sight is still blurry. He sees things, but he doesn't see them. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. Here he actually touches him. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. It was well. And notice he saw everything clearly. See nothing, blurry vision, and now 2020 vision because the Savior touched his eyes. It's the power of the kingdom to restore. And again, he sends this man home, says, don't tell anybody. We've talked about the Messiah secret throughout Mark. It's not time for the kingdom to come. It's not time for him to be crucified. And so there's a secret in the power that is displayed here. But what we see in this act is a picture of the kingdom. The blind will see clearly. No nearsighted or farsighted. You will see Jesus and you will have perfect sight in the kingdom. Redeemed sight. And you will see the glories of heaven in such perfection. The details of everything that God has prepared for you. Your eyes will take it in. And it will cause great joy. The blind will see because the curse will be eradicated. But we also see the sovereignty of God to see the kingdom. What Jesus is saying here is for anyone to see the kingdom clearly, he must open their eyes. There must be a sovereign work or you're going to walk around clinging to your self-righteousness saying I'm good enough. You're going to walk around clinging to your power saying I need more of that. And you're going to walk around thinking, no, 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 I provide for myself. Unless Jesus opens your eyes and you see, no, he is your righteousness. He is your power. He is your provision. You will not see it unless Jesus opens your eyes. And here we see there's an intentional progression in his restoration. He, he sees, but it's fuzzy. It's blurry. It's not clear. And then he sees with clarity. And there is a picture of restoration here, a picture of sanctification. And it's what's going on in all of our lives right now. We see Jesus in the gospel, in the church, but we don't see it all clearly right now. It's still fuzzy. It's still blurry. It's still vague at times. But the promise of the kingdom is though it be blurry and vague and fuzzy right now, one day Jesus will, will touch your eyes and wipe away every tear and it will all be made clear. That's what redemption is like for the believer. And that is what our faith is like. In the next chapter, there is a man who has a son with an unclean spirit. And Jesus tells him, all things are possible if you have faith. And he asks him the question, do you have faith? And the man says, I believe. 
but help my unbelief. I see, but I don't see it all. Help me, Jesus. And if you're like me, that is where you live. I believe the Word of God is true and it is perfect and it is infallible. And I believe with all my heart that there is a kingdom coming that will make all things new and Jesus will rule and reign forever. I believe that. Now, there's times where I have to say it's fuzzy. Jesus, help my unbelief. And that's where we live. We live there. That is what faith looks like is I believe. Yes, I believe I'm clinging to it. Help my unbelief. And here he's giving us a picture of the disciples. Remember, it comes back to the disciples. They're on the boat and they see Jesus, but they don't see it all just yet. And what Jesus is saying is it's blurry right now, but I'm going to open your eyes to the kingdom. And after the resurrection, they see flesh and blood resurrected from the dead and they believe and they give their lives over to preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I know that's where many of us are here today. You see a righteous savior crucified, but you are praying, help me to see more. It is true when you believe the gospel that the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account as though you never sinned and you always obeyed. That is how God looks at you. That is the truth of Scripture. You are justified when you believe in Jesus, period. But there's times it's hard to see, right? When you get to the end of your day and you say, I can't believe I still say and do those things. Righteousness, credit it. With Jesus's righteousness, really, there are days that through the doubt that the gospel is blurry in your lives, the cross, it's blurry. You don't see it. It's vague. You, you don't get it every day. You're stumbling and you're falling and you say, righteous, really, I'm a failure. I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with gossip. Why do I still struggle with those things if Jesus has declared me righteous? And you have to pray and you have to say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. I see. Help me to see that I will see standing before Jesus in full righteousness, covered in his blood. Help me to see the acceptance I will have before him one day. I see. Help me to see that I will see the kingdom. We see the power of a crucified Messiah. But we often have to say, help me see more. We see at times the counter logic of joy that comes through taking up our cross and following him. Because we have the spirit of God within us, there are times where we go, if I would inconvenience myself for this person, I would find great joy in that. Because Jesus did that, right? Jesus found great joy in dying for others. And, and there are times where we hear it and we see it and we feel it as Christians. And we go, I know there's more joy there. Where you know the right thing to do is be gracious and kind and merciful. And why do you know that's the right thing to do? Because you have seen God's love for his enemy, you. You've seen his grace and you've seen his mercy in your life. You've seen it and you embrace it. You say, yes. I see your love. I see your grace. I see your mercy. I, I see it, Jesus. But it's really blurry when you ask me, 
to love the person who's destroyed my life. It gets real vague when you say, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your husband. Love your kids. That's when sometimes I don't see it. I, I don't see it. So, so I see it. Help me to see that I will see it. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. We see the provision of a Savior. Bread from heaven. And yet there are times where we have to say, help me see more of it. You see, the truth is, if God would give his son for your sin, how could you ever doubt him? Christ Jesus came and died for the ungodly. That is the truth of Scripture. And if you're a Christian here today, you believe that. You say, I've seen that. I believe that the one who knew no sin became sin for me, that in him I might become the righteousness of God. I see that. And I believe that. But in the dailiness of anxiety and stress of, of food, clothing and shelter and the immediate things that you have to do, sometimes you don't see it and you doubt it. And you say, if God really loved me, I'd be able to pay my bills and have just a little bit more. If God really loved me. These things wouldn't be going on in my life. I wouldn't be suffering this way. I wouldn't be going through difficulty. I wouldn't have to deal with these people. If God really loved me, if he if he and you see the provision he has made for you in the son that declares he does love you, but you don't see it. And you have to say, I see. Help me to see it. I believe. Help me to believe I've seen the story of a former corpse who will wipe away every tear. But when I'm sitting at night, in the middle of the night, in the ICU with a loved one, I don't see it. When I'm standing around at the funeral home talking with all my friends who have gone on before me, friends from high school, when I'm, when I'm sitting around talking with relatives about all the memories at the funeral home, I don't see it. And you have to stop and say, Help me to see it. I believe. Help my unbelief. When you hear pleasure in the kingdom that's better than sin, but in the moment it becomes vague before the temporal gratification that you can get right now, you have to stop and say, I believe. Help me in my unbelief in this moment. I see. But I see my heart is still struggling. Help me to see that the kingdom is better. That's where we live. That's the picture of faith that Jesus gives us as he teaches his disciples. And so central to this section is the question, do you see anything? <laughs> that is the question for you today. The question to this man, as Jesus spits in his face, he says, do you see anything? And that's the question for you today. Do you see anything? Do you see anything, a glimpse of the kingdom? Do you see it? Because the promise is, if you see it, he will open your eyes to all of it. By faith, do you see it? Now, there's a self-righteousness here today that would say, see it? How could I miss it? How could I ever miss it? There is a near blindness that says, see it, I have it memorized. See it. I have badges 
that say, I see it. See it. I have a list of things that declare I see it. And the problem is you're looking down at fuzzy words on a page and you can't see it because of your self-righteousness. And yet there is a faith here today that says, by God's grace, I see it, but I want to see more of it. There is a faith here today that would say, I was once blind, but now I see. And yet there is more to see. Help me to see it.